feeling overwhelmed? Welcome to Leading Simple, where our goal is to make real life simple. Here's your host, Rusty George. Hey, well, welcome to episode 152 of Leading Simple. I'm your host, Rusty George, and today we've got a great, great conversation that will certainly help the overwhelmed. I know it helped me. Rebecca Lyons is a national speaker, host of the Rhythms for Life podcast, and best-selling author of Rhythms of Renewal, You Are Free, and Free Fall to Fly. An old soul with a contemporary honest voice, Rebecca reveals her own battles to overcome anxiety and depression, and she invites others to discover and boldly pursue the God-given purpose. Alongside her husband, Gabe, Rebecca finds joy in raising four children, two of whom have Down syndrome, and she wears her heart on her sleeve, a benefit to friends and readers alike. Her work has been featured on the Today Show, Good Morning America, CNN, Fox News, Publishers Weekly, Starred Review, and now Leading Simple. Today we are sponsored by Growmentum, a great organization that helps church leaders work on the church, not just in it. For more information, contact the great team at Growmentum at growmentumgroup.com. Cannot recommend them enough. Grateful for their support of the show. Well, now sit back and enjoy my conversation with Rebecca Lyons. Rebecca, thank you so much for joining us. It's an honor to have you. Uh, I feel like I know you based upon uh, podcasts I've heard and your writings, but you uh, write a lot in the realm of panic attacks, anxiety. Tell us a little bit about your journey with those two items. Sure. This began for me about a decade ago when our family relocated from Atlanta to New York City. And at the time, our kids were five, seven, and nine. Mm. Uh, my oldest, uh, my nine-year-old at the time, um, has a Down syndrome diagnosis. So he and I were both the ones on the side of the road that wanted to just sit on the curb and go, car, car, car. <laughs> Why are we walking? Why do we become pedestrians overnight um, right. where everything's public transportation? He was missing the minivan. I was missing knowing all my babies were safe and like we could just cross six lanes of traffic without any problems. So, um, but in general, I, I just remember you know, feeling called there for the ministry we were doing um, on engaging culture and what does faithfulness look like in that context. So we, my husband and I had launched Q Ideas um, years, years prior to that. And it was all about convening people on the front lines of arts and media and government policy, education, social sector that are people of faith that are serving as salt and light and just wanting to help connect them, convene them. And New York City was definitely a hub for where people would come through. So we're like, let's, it just seems like a logical next step. Let's leave Christianville. Let's go to Manhattan. And um, turns out, uh, you know, with 8 million people in the span of 11 miles, there's no such thing as personal space. And so quickly, my anxiety and panic began about four months in on a subway. Well, it's on. It started on a flight, but then it continued planes, trains, elevators, subways, and crowds. And it was all about, for me, rooted in claustrophobia, this idea of feeling trapped. And the more that I've studied it, I think, you know, the metaphor for trapped is trapped in a circumstance or a situation where you feel powerless. It doesn't mean that you, if you have claustrophobia later in life that, you know, you were locked in a closet necessarily, or you were like <laughs> buried, buried alive. It just means that there was a season of your life where you felt powerless. And, um, and so anyways, that's where that story and journey began for me. And it was about the span of a year of walking in that, um, trying to avoid 
all elevators and climbing nine flights of stairs or seven flights of stairs and just avoiding the fear of a panic attack in front of people. Not only did it, I was, I was afraid of me, like how I would get in those moments. And then I was afraid of what that would communicate to my children. Mm -hmm. And finally, in the end, I just, there was a deliverance moment where I just cried out for rescue and I was flooded with supernatural peace in the middle of the night, about a year and a half later. And God used that as an awakening to send me on a healing journey. And, um, that's kind of how my life changed mid, you know, midlife. I was 37, accepted Christ at age five, um, in a very, like, I don't want to burn. So I want to make sure I pray the right thing the right way. And, but yet I really did believe that the story of Jesus was true and I wanted to follow him, but I didn't understand the fullness of his grace and mercy and the power of his spirit to transform until, you know, that really, truly when Cade was born at 26. And then when we moved to New York at 36. Mm -hmm. Well, you talk a lot about the difference between panic attacks and anxiety. Can you give us a little bit of a, um, you know, an understanding, a brief tutorial for those of us that maybe don't wrestle with those things, or maybe we've dabbled with one or two, they're, they're not necessarily the same. Um, give us an update on those two. Yeah, I would say there's probably, I'm not cl a clinician. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a just pragmatist on my story and have helped a lot of people that just give language to what they've experienced. But in general, there's a continuum of, you know, something that might start as start as physical symptoms of stress where you have racing, a racing heart, shallow breathing, sleepless nights, a mind that won't quit all the way to the other extreme where you literally begin to reorder your life around the, the pervading fear that you cannot, that you cannot shake. Mm -hmm. So whether it's agoraphobia, you stop going out in public or claustrophobia and you stop um, you know, putting yourself in anything that is too small, like you start to create, it's the obsessive compulsion of creating new realities for survival. Hmm. Um, so you're at that point, you're very much in a survival, like need intervention kind of situation. Um, mm -hmm. And that's, you know, honestly, the American Institute of Stress says that four out of five of us have physical symptoms of stress. So everyone like, and that was pre-COVID. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm not quite sure in the last, uh, you know, year or more um, how that's gone up. But you can understand that if four out of five experience racing mind, um, anxious thoughts, stress, um, you know, then, then if we don't actually put these rhythms in our life that I start to talk about, write about, if we're not putting guardrails in our life of boundaries for us to flourish and be free, then those things on that continuum that might just start as, you know, you know, being anxious or fearful about something that keeps ruminating in your mind, it could go to something more extreme. Uh, you've written three books uh, that you call your anxiety trilogy. <laughs> um, <laughs> did you start out to write three or just kind of happened that way? No, never. I only write one book at a time um, with my publisher. I never agree to more to that because I'm like, this might be the last good thing I have to say. <laughs> so right. um, yeah, I just, I don't like the stress of that, but it does, um, 
it was more how the first story was the crash and burn and then the rescue. Okay. And it was really just more to kind of tell a story of like, this is what this feels like and looks like to the person walking through something that you, you're just, you're literally watching something like a slow moving, like train wreck. And then God, <laughs> but God. Right. And it really was just to tell that story because at the end, uh, that this moment happened for me, September 20th of 2011. And I remember at the new year, the turn of the year, we had friends over, we were living in uh, the Upper East Side of Manhattan and everyone said, name your year in a word, just summarize your year. We went around the table and without thinking the word rescue fell from my lips and it, I had never considered it prior to that. Hmm. And they walked with me through it and they said, why rescue? And I said, it's the first time I've experienced the rescue of God in the 30 years I've called myself a Christian. Hmm. Um, it was like Psalm 18 got super loud, you know, like hmm. you reached down from on high and you pulled me out of a pit and you rescued me because you delighted in me. And with my God, I can attack a barrier and I can leap a wall. It was just that that's what it was. The ropes of Sheol were wrapped around me. And I'm so thankful that I experienced that kind of a um, encounter with the Lord. And again, it wasn't, I wouldn't have even given it the language of healing because I grew up in a very fundamental independent Baptist church where we prayed for things, but we didn't, I don't know that we really fully understood or learned kind of the, the, the healing transforming power of the spirit of God in real time, in a way that would kind of just arrest our lives or interrupt like something that felt more like um, processed and hmm. slow and steady. It just is like, I just, it just made the gospels get real, real for me. Uh, when Jesus is like, do you really want to be well? Right. And you're kind of like, well, yeah, but you know, is that really going to happen? <laughs> <laughs> and so because it did, and then it was more about um, it's one thing about getting free, but it's another thing about living free or walking free because Galatians is the book on freedom, in my opinion. And, and the whole message of that book is don't run back to slavery. Mm. So, so then my second book was more about that. Like, how do we actually like embrace the freedom that we've been given and really believe it's true? Um, what are the things that um, we need to still be freed from that we're just not aware of in our Christian walk. Mm -hmm. So that was book two. And then book three was more about how to run free, how to sustain um, a long life of emotional, spiritual, relational, and physical health. What does endurance look like? And so that's why it became a trilogy. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Can you give us the three names for our listeners so they can find those? Sure. The first one's Free Fall to Fly. A breathtaking journey toward a life of meaning. The second one is you are free. Be who you already are. It's just about like take on take on the identity that has been given to you as a beloved son or daughter. Um, chosen, appointed, set apart. Um, what does that mean? And then the third book is Rhythms of Renewal. Trading stress and anxiety for a life of peace and purpose. And to me, that's more the kind of the field guide for fear. Mm -hmm. It's just the playbook that you're just going to, it's a new way of living. It's all about, it's never too late to reestablish what you want your life to be about. And it's about the slow and steady work of transformation one day at a time. Hey, let me just pop in here for a second and interrupt our conversation by having another conversation. And that is, did you know that our recent book after amen is now on audible? And so if you're a person that likes listening to podcasts, you might like listening to a book. 
So just go over to Audible. You can pick it up there, download it, listen to it. And it was a lot of fun to read it and a lot of fun to share it. Now, back to the show. Okay, so I want to go back to something you said. Uh, I thought this was so profound. This sense of, in a moment, this supernatural rescuing that you felt, Psalm 18 moment. For our listeners who may be longing for that moment, how did you position yourself to receive that? How did you... Basically, how, how did you get ready for that? How did you make it happen? Obviously, it's all the work of God, but I think our we've got a lot of listeners that would say, boy, I'm, I'm waiting for that. Tell me how. Yeah. Well, there was a lot of um, just crying out to God, like, are you there? You know, mm-hmm. you, you read Psalms and it's, I love how vulnerable and tender and raw it is. And I think if, if David was a, a man after God's heart, a friend of God, and he did not withhold the the anguish, then I think part of why we don't see um, almost the God's just swoop down is that we don't show him enough of our desperation possibly, or at least we still feel like we have to kind of button it up for him. Um, and there is this sense of God, like you're, you're alone are going to do this. And, he, and, and here's the thing. I do think in the area of mental health, it's touchy because there are resources out there that can help us in the interim. Mm-hmm. There are medications, there are therapies, there are things we can do. And sometimes as well, meaning as those things are, they can actually keep us from a place of desperation. And it is in the desperation like where like, apart from you, I am nothing. This will not actually, I, I might have maintenance plan. I might have coping mechanisms, but I'm not going to have deliverance and healing. And those are two different things. And so part of it for me is I did not go on medication, not because I was trying to prove something, but because I'm a firstborn type A control freak. And I don't, I had um, a little adverse reaction to medication when I had my three C-sections. It did make me anxious. It made me want to like literally run from the building. That was my only history. I just felt out of body and I didn't like feeling out of control with the certain medication I was given. So I was like, oh no, 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 we're going to fight this, right? We're going to fight this naturally. And I'll never forget. Um, after a year, I finally said to Gabe, I said, I'll, I'll go on whatever medication I need to go on because I'm not functioning as a mother or as a wife or as a friend or as a human. And it was literally in that season where I surrendered even my will of how I wanted to fix this thing that God then intervened within the next week. And it was, and I wonder if it was just his, his, his way of going, like, do you trust me? If it, if it did require medication or it didn't, like you don't always get to be the one who authors the healing journey. In the end, I never did go on medication, but I, I did humble myself and I did get desperate. And I did say, Lord, it's you. Um, you are Jehovah Rapha, the God who heals, El Roy, the God who sees. Um, do not hide your face from me. Hmm. And I just think he's okay. I really do believe he's okay with that kind of gut level honesty. Why do you think we're scared of that? Because you see that in the you see that in the scriptures. I mean, you see Jacob wrestle with God till he gets a blessing. You see David do that time and time again. Why do you think we're resistant to that? Because we're, we still haven't come to know the height, the depth, the breadth, the width of the love 
that he has for us. Hmm. We still operate as orphans, which is why I brought on freedom, because we almost feel like he is a conditional God and that we have to perform for love, which is why we can't talk back, (laughs) why we can't wrestle or argue, Hmm. why we can't reveal our real tensions or our longings or our loss. Um, I mean, Hmm. I've had seasons even since then where I'll walk with the Lord and be like, I'm angry right now. And I think part of it's directed at you. And here's why. I'm not saying it's right or fair, but it is true. It's true to where I am right now. And I know that your mercy covers this and you will actually, through your word, through your spirit, reveal to me the things I'm not seeing. Mm-hmm. So it's still a reverential awe of God. I never want to like communicate that we just are callous and cavalier with how we worship our, the almighty creator. But, but he also is such an intimate father. And and as as a mother, <laughs> when my kids are really willing to go there with their pain, even if it quote unquote might feel like it's directed towards me, I know that that is a desperate cry for relationship, mm. and that only happens in vulnerability. And vulnerability will always cost you something. And so I think the Lord's like, hey, I made myself vulnerable to you. I need you in relationship to make yourself vulnerable to me with an understanding and a submission that I am I am God and you are not. <laughs> but I do not want you to withhold the torment that you're carrying because that wasn't a burden that you were meant to carry. Mm. That's so good. Okay. So since that moment, everything been perfect? Oh, just absolutely perfect, as one could always imagine. We've arrived. (laughs) Walk us through that. Yeah, I think in general, you know, it's like anything. Um, It's like when, when the serpent goes to Eve, did God really mean, you know, it's like the, the, the tempter is one who always elicits doubt. And so the more I would teach and the more prophetic and bold, and we would have like legit after teaching, I would just invite people up for prayer, for just healing of anything, all kinds of mental, mental disorders, physical disorders, laying on of everyone was just kind of all in. And and I was like, I'm not promising anything. You know, God does what he does and he wills what he wills, Mm -hmm. but I know it is in his nature for us to be whole. And so I know that we can pray according to that trusting his timing and his provision. And we saw so many signs and wonders in the next seven years. Like we just saw so many people walking free of afflictions. And of course, with that came, um, you know, I think the enemy doesn't like that, you know, because once you have the power of testimony in Revelation 12, 11, the enemy is bound by two things, Christ's blood and our testimony, because they did not love their lives more than death. And it's this idea of like, you're kind of like the blind man who goes, I don't know, guys, I once was blind and now I see maybe he's the son of God. He had no reason to hide that story or be shy or shrink back about it because he was transformed in such a way that, you know, I, I just shared like, I, God made me a chronic oversharer from birth and then gave me a story I can't shut up about. I'm sorry. <laughs> it is what it is. I'm sticking to it. And some people would be like, uh, okay, well, that's your story. I'm like, you're right. It is my story. But if testimony is very much meaning do it again or so be it, then then let's let's just shout from the rooftops as long as we can, you know, as long as we have breath, like Mm. this is what God is about. And this is who, what his nature is. So I did feel attack when I would pray into the, 
areas that were really just kind of storming the gates of hell, like people who had, who were suicide survivors Mm -hmm. or, um, a girl was 21 and she had tried twice in the last four years to attempt suicide or another woman who, um, you know, called herself a whore from as long as she can remember, because that's what she was called. And then she just, um, made agreement with that and slept around. And like, there were certain prayer sessions where I could just feel, um, like I need a covering. Um, I'm vulnerable. Everyone does. Everyone needs a covering that's like praying into these things. Mm -hmm. Um, and then just the weight and the burden of that. So constantly I would just come around men and women that could just help just be that covering. And then also just continue to say, Lord, your yoke is easy and light. Mm. And God just said, if I call you to be light, I will make it feel light. And I don't care how dark it is. Like even Mother Teresa, when she got that second call within the call to the slums of Calcutta, she still had an indescribable joy Mm. because it was Christ himself who says, I, my yoke is easy and light. Mm-hmm. And if you're going to be a bringer of light, I will keep it light. Mm-hmm. And so that helped me go, I'm not the savior. I'm not the one that's like doing this stuff. I'm just, I'm just a messenger. And um, God will help withstand those areas of temptation, doubt, fear. But honestly, the only way that I keep those things at bay still today, after eight years, well, nine, 10 years, whatever year we are. Yeah, 10 years um, is a real kind of... Um, consecration to um, to try to stay away from the things that will start to become lies mm. um, that will just tempt me into doubt and that just making sure that my time with God is just more prevalent than time online, time listening to other voices, time reading other books. Um, I just have to, I have to stay in the current of the source himself so that the abundance can flow from there. Otherwise I get off track. Mm. That's so well said. All right. I know you've only got a couple minutes left. Give our listeners two or three things that helped you during COVID to keep up your rhythms of renewal and manage stress and anxiety that maybe we can kind of put into practice post COVID. Sure. Well, that third book is really about these four rhythms that became sustaining for me. And I'm so thankful I wrote them the year before COVID because then I got to really live them in the fullness (laughs) um, once it began. Um, And those are rest, restore, connect, create. The input rhythms are rest and restore and the output rhythms are connect and create. And so the input of rest is all about your spiritual life, your inner life. Mm -hmm. Am I okay? Are God and I okay? Am I actually abiding in the secret place? Am I receiving from him alone? Um, And then the restore is all about the physical health, Um, just getting with God in the movement. It's not just about like studying his word in a corner and sitting in a pew. It's, It's about like just prayer walks and um, just being t- treating my body right with foods that that fuel and heal, not the other way around. And then the output rhythm of connect and create was so much about how do I give from the overflow of those input rhythms to serve and love others and mm. bear their burdens and extend hospitality and be vulnerable and be the friend I wish to have and fight for my marriage and Mm. all those things like those, again, a lot of times we focus first on the output and the public life of the output rhythms, whether it's connection with relationships or it's our vocation of create. When God's saying you actually can't give what you don't have, Mm. go back to the input rhythms of rest and restore so that you then have an abundance and a wellspring to offer other people. 
That's wonderful. Rebecca, thank you for all you've done and personally for what you've done for our family, your writings, your encouragement has been so great. And I'd love to have you back and dive even more into this and just so blessed by your ministry and your husband's and all that you guys do for advancing the kingdom of God. So blessings to you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm honored. Take care. Well, that was so rich. Thank you, Rebecca, for being on the show. And I'd like to ask all of our listeners right now, I think you know somebody who would benefit from hearing that, somebody who might struggle with depression or anxiety. Would you take a moment and just share this with a friend? And also, would you just make sure that you subscribe to the podcast? That way you make sure you get new content every time it's released, especially our bonus episodes. And if you could, it'd be a real blessing if you would just write a review. That really helps us get the word out there to what we're trying to do as we continue to try to help the overwhelmed. Well, next week, Zach Zender returns to the show. He is the author of one of the best daily devotionals I've ever read. And he's also in the Guinness Book of World Records for the world's longest sermon. So no, it's not me. It's someone else. Well, thanks for listening to Leading Simple as we try to help the overwhelmed. Take a moment and subscribe to the podcast so you get it delivered every week. And subscribe to the Rusty George YouTube channel for more devotionals, messages, and fun videos. Thank you for listening to Leading Simple. Learn.